the Healthy Families podcast, and my name is Jenny Hatch, and I am your host. Today, I revitalized my old WordPress blog and republished the interview I did with Fiona Barnett back in the fall of 2019. We had met on Twitter a couple of years previous to that, crossed paths, and I followed her blog for several years and read many of her heartfelt exposés of what happened to her as a victim of ritual abuse down in Australia. And crossing paths with Fiona and Sarah Ruth Ashcraft was life-changing for me because they validated many of the things that I had been processing and remembering. And so I'll always consider it a blessing that I was able to meet them when I did and that I was able to, I'm doing a show right now, that I was able to tap into their um, knowledge base to help me to heal and reconcile so much of the stuff that I experienced when I was a kid. Fiona's a warrior and she decided to write a book specifically fulfilling a promise that she had made to some of her fellow victims when they were all in an underground bunker somewhere on a military base. She promised these other kids that the day would come when she would tell their story. And she said that most of them died and she felt like she owed them to fulfill her promise and tell their stories. And so she did in front of the whole country of Australia on video, she mentioned them by name. And then she wrote her book for those of us who managed to live through these traumas, come out on the other side, mostly intact and able to face what happened to us. And so her book is not, as she explained in the podcast, it's not a memoir. It is a book about healing and what she did to heal. And I'm a second witness to the healing process that Fiona went through because I used many of the same healing tactics that she did in processing out my own trauma from childhood ritual abuse. And Fiona's a hero of mine. I will always be in her debt um, because of her bravery and her willingness to speak out and so here is our interview. All right, I just started the recording. It's the Jenny Hatch Show. And my special guest today is Fiona Barnett, author of Eyes Wide Open. Fiona has recently written her memoirs. And I have invited her to be on the show today to talk about how she integrated her trauma-based programming and how she has healed. Fiona, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Jenny. Finally got together, didn't we? Took a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, I think what we were talking about um, was well, what's the most important message that we can give survivors, or as I say, victims of crime, um, victims of extreme abuse. And I think the... The fundamental message behind my book is um, that 
if I can get through what I got through, then why can't everyone else survive the same sorts of extreme abuse? So the whole um, the pinnacle of that book is that uh, one of the last chapters, which is trauma-focused integration, and the reason for everything else I wrote leading leading up to that was to prepare the minds of um, victims and their support people for what's in that chapter, trauma-focused integration. So that's, you know, that that was the entire reason uh, uh, for the for the book is that chapter, and that is how to integrate from uh, when they used uh, forced dissociation, uh, trauma-based forced dissociation methods on victims. And I can concur that that is the climax of the book because I read the whole book and it is the best chapter in the book. I also have, am a second witness to Fiona about healing. I have been healing my own trauma-based, I, I will call myself a victim too, um, because I was programmed as a child to commit suicide if it ever appeared that I was going to remember what happened to me when I was a little girl. And so I have struggled throughout my whole adult life. And I can testify that as you remember and integrate, you feel better, you get healthier, you're able to manage your life better. And I have done that without medications or too much, too much interface with doctors. And it's been very empowering to remember. And how can I ask Jenny, how long that process has taken for you? I've been working on it now since 2001, so it's been a solid 18 years. My brother yeah. died, and that was the trigger for me to start remembering. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I concur. That's that's about my length of um, time I've been working on this. Well, no, uh, I'd say I really started uh, working on everything from the moment that my um, perpetrator step grandfather Peter Holovchek um, was found hanged to death, and that was gosh about 1991. So I've been at it since then. But what I did, my my healing was in two phases, mainly because I didn't have any support from the uh, mental health community, like insufficient support or the wrong sort of support. So I I dealt mainly with the ritual abuse stuff in the in the first half, and then I put everything on hold. I just started touching on the, the heavy military stuff. And then um, years later, once I knew I was secure, um, I went for it and finished it off. And I would like to tell just one little bit of my story to back up what Fiona says. And that is that it's easy to think that as you're healing, that it's just one long, hard slog and you just have to focus all the time. And that's not true, especially if we're people who believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to just focus, focus, focus and pray seven hours a day for healing. I have been busy with my family. I have five children. I gave birth to my fifth son during this time. He was a catalyst for my healing. As he would hit certain ages, I would remember certain things that happened to me at the age that he was. He was the one who, who brought healing into my heart at a very suicidal time before he was even conceived. This little boy came to me and he said, you can't kill yourself, mom, because I want you to be my mother. 
And so right from the very moment he showed up in my, in my conscious mind, this child was coming with healing. And so I want to address a couple of lies. Number one, that if you've been abused like this, you cannot be a parent. You cannot be a good mother. That's a lie. Some of the most fierce, protective, wonderful mothers and fathers on the planet are people who have been abused because we know. And so he has been the, the, he's 17 now, but he is the one who came and just provided me with this opportunity to heal. I think you've raised a, a crucial point there, which is the suicidal triggers. Um, what people have to realise is that this, the techniques they use on us are often highly sophisticated. Um, so the if, if you're abused by military people um, using high-end military equipment, then these, the, the end result is, can often be very seamless. So people do not realise um, that you might be shifting between, uh, well, they call them alters or personalities. I just call them um, segregated memory, um, memory sections in your, in your brain. But the, the, the problem is, what happens is, and this is the greatest risk of all that people have to be aware of, is that when you do start working on this material, um, definitely every time you will have artificially imposed suicidal ideation will be laid in to the programming. So when you start stripping away the onion, onion layers of programming, you will undoubtedly regularly hit suicidal ideation. But I, I found the most effective thing to combat that is if you say to people, um, you voice uh, what the ideation is, that often breaks the spell, so to speak. Um, and the other thing is if you realise these are not my thoughts, these are thoughts imposed upon me by a, a predator, a programmer, a perpetrator, and you um, disown those thoughts. I found that that was the two most powerful things I could do um, to combat also, the suicidal ideation that undoubtedly you'll be hit with. You also mentioned art therapy. You would draw a picture or whatever was in your mind as you were trying to reconstruct it. I found that very powerful. And you also mentioned yeah. music. And I can tell you people who are listening that music has been the main thing I have used to heal. There is a healing power in the great classical works. Brahms Requiem was particularly effective for me to sing it, to listen to it, to join a choir to sing it. It was also powerful to sing the Messiah and all these other great works that testify of Jesus Christ. There is protection in that music. There is healing in that music. Well, it's all about harmonics and frequencies. So what people don't realize is that um, the prayer and then more powerful than that is singing um, worship songs about Jesus Christ and, and, and um, to praising, praising God. Uh, this comes with a certain frequency, which is more powerful than the enemy's 
witchcraft and rituals and curses and spells and hexes and blood sacrifice, all the stuff they do. Um, that's what people don't realise. There's an actual, <laughs> there is a science behind genuine Christianity and it's it's a more powerful process than Luciferianism. And that's, you know, if you can think in terms of that, that the science of Christianity is is more powerful than the science of Luciferianism, if that's a way of, you know, picturing it in your heads. So that's one thing that's very powerful. When it comes to the actual methods like art therapy and so forth, um, I the, the relevance of that is this. You've got two brain hemispheres and there's a lot of healing power in understanding the brain's structure and function and the difference between the function of the left hemisphere versus the function of the right hemisphere. Now, the left hemisphere is very much focused on uh, sort of, you know, rote learning, um, basic language structure, um, just following rules, being told what, what to do without questioning it, this sort of thing. Your right hemisphere is a source of creativity. It is where you process uh, your relationship with God and an awareness of spiritual matters. Most importantly, the right hemisphere contains implicit memory. So the right side has to be activated for you to access the memories, all right, of your abuse. And it is imperative, my approach to healing is, you must trigger the memories of the abuse. That is how you integrate. That is the key. And that is what MKUltra psychiatrists don't want you to know. And so... The main thing they say is, oh, beware of triggers, beware of triggers. Well, yes, you need to beware of triggers uh, in that you've got to be aware that, you know, you, you have to have a support structure around you before you go triggering your memories and start opening up a can of worms, okay? You, you need something to fall back on. You've got to make sure that, you know, you've got, um, even if even if it, the best you've got is, you know, making sure you're booked into the local psychiatric um, clinic or something like that for when you're suicidal if you've got no, you know, partner or friends willing to do the, the suicide watch stuff. Um, it's very important to have that support when you're opening up your memories. But how you do it is you, you trigger you trigger your memories. It's like if you lose your car keys. How do you find your car keys? You close your eyes and you picture... Where was I? What was I doing when I last had my car keys, right? You try to trigger your memory or you might walk around the house and look for reminders to trigger where did I put the car keys. That's exactly how memory works. And the same is for these um, memories which you've stored and they intentionally have, they know about the right um, hemisphere and implicit memory storage. So that's where they store your memories so you can't get hold of them. And they separate the two hemispheres so that your right hemisphere, and they do that through spinning, etc., drugs and everything else, so that your right hemisphere can't send the information over to the left for processing, you know, and applying language and time, date, place to the, the pictures. So what you're going to have is 
Are you going to have flashbacks of um, what you saw when you were a kid? You're going to have flashbacks of what you felt. You're going to have flashbacks of what you smelt. These sorts of things. So when you start having flashbacks of, you know, your experiences, what that is is a jumbled up mess of fragmented uh, memory shoved in the right hemisphere that's never been processed properly in the left hemisphere. So when you do art therapy and when you do EMDR and these sorts of uh, memory reprocessing techniques, what you're doing is grabbing that information from the right hemisphere and allowing it to be processed in the left hemisphere for the first time since the abuse happened, say when you're six or seven or younger or what have you. So does that explain? Yes, it does very well. And Fiona goes into wonderful depth in her book about all of these processes and how they work. It's one of the best explanations I've ever read. And I've read much of the literature on trauma-based everything. So it's, it's an excellent book. I can't recommend it enough. I put it right at the top of my Twitter in a tag tweet. I know Fiona's done the same. I've embedded her book on my blog, jennyhatch.com. Fiona's got a free copy available for you to download at, uh, from her website. Fiona, tell people where they can find your blog. Okay, so um, I have two blogs. One is fionabarnett.org and the other one is pedophilesdownunder.com. Um, so I've got the book on there for free. Just bear in mind, it was not a finished manuscript. I never got to proofread it. Uh, I had some, I was, I had agents closing in on me. Um, and it, my computer crashed and all these sorts of things. So I just had to get a previously edited version and just upload it, you know, because I just knew that I would never get anything up there. So just bear in mind, there's, some mistakes and you know it's not too bad though oh, you know there's not that you know it's wonderful um i'm going to close down this portion of the show this is the youtube version if you would like a more extended version of this show go to my blog if fiona wants to embed it on her blog you can hear the rest of this conversation we're going to go for about another 20 30 minutes so if you want to come find us on our blogs this is the end of the youtube show thank you for stopping by i hope you have a great day all right, we're going to continue. Are you are you good to continue for a few more minutes? Yeah. All right. Yeah, sure. I would like to address the topic of sexual abuse victims growing up to become sexually deficient adults. I don't know what you've experienced beyond what you've written in your book, but I know what I experienced. And when on my wedding day, I believed that I was a virgin. I had saved myself for my husband. We had a fabulous time on our honeymoon. We conceived our oldest daughter, and then we went on to have and have had a 31-year marriage of beautiful, normal, intimate life together, even though I was horrifyingly sexually assaulted all throughout my childhood and didn't remember it for 12 years. And that includes a, a gang rape when I was 21 years old by four people. So I experienced some serious, serious sexual assault, and it never, never messed with my married life with my husband. Can you address that side of healing, Fiona? Well, I once had someone um, I was sent to in South Australia that I mentioned in my book, and he, he was supposed to be this deprogrammer, but it turned out to be a reprogrammer. And I had to flee for my life from there. But one of the things he attacked me over was 
just suddenly out of the blue started asking personal questions that was none of his business and um and he you know are, are you sexually functional you know with your husband all this sort of thing because you couldn't be if you're a victim you, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be normally normal sexually and i thought you grub um i've personally me i've had no uh problems in that area now i think and this is a bit funny but there are advantages to being a trained prostitute a child prostitute because um i'm actually really good in bed so there, there are there are advantages at times right and you know and um yeah so it's all right to boast about that because there's got to be a positive to every negative right that's right but i didn't have any issues myself like i was neither promiscuous nor frigid okay i was surprisingly normal in that department now I have had, I did have one time during sex when I had a flashback to being assaulted at Parliament House by a horrible old man, uh, one of the one of the um, people in politics down there, and that's the only time I can think where it interfered with my actual relationship, um, and that was very brief and, you know, but the other thing was it came down to the fact that I. My partner uh, won my trust over a long time ago and uh, when we were quite young. And it just, it was his nature that I, you know, came to trust him. And that, I think it's got to do with the relationship you've got too. I didn't have um, someone who was like, you know, I'm not a domestic violence perpetrator or, you know, nothing like that. He was, it was his manner as well. And he was extremely respectful and um, very cautious with me. And, but that was established many years ago. So, you know, that was a big deal. I mean, well, my testimony, a lot has to do with your partner too. My testimony to anybody who's listening is that you can have a beautiful, healthy, normal, sexual relationship with your partner you don't have to you know anticipate that you remembering all this stuff means that you're going to have to get divorced and your spouse isn't going to love you anymore you may have those feelings i certainly did how can he love me i i really struggled with my self-esteem as i remembered because i felt so dirty you know i had this real soap fetish where if i don't have a cer certain amount of soap in the house i'm like lady macbeth constantly washing my hands you know i just feel like i have to to be clean and part of that's being a victim of of these people but um as he has assured me of his love for me and shown it in a million different ways we have worked through all the bumps that come when you're healing i think so it's funny i i don't think i personally ever felt dirty it's funny like that i felt if anything the more struggle i had was um, being perceived as nuts, as crazy, you know, more so than, than um, as dirty and, you know, all that sort of thing. I do remember when all my memories came back and everything and, you know, being upset that I'd been so violated. And then I was like, well, how am I supposed to respect the whole sex before marriage thing in the Bible when I've been raped you know, untold number of times um, before, you know, before the age of 18 even.
So I guess that's I had that sort of struggle where God was concerned. I was pretty angry about that sort of stuff, that that side of things. It's like, oh, well, you want me to go and act all virginal now after what you allowed happened to me? But, you know, I've had to work through that and that's been tough. But I think the hardest thing I had, to be honest, on a personal note was um, my husband wanted to marry me straight away when he met me. But his mother, who is involved in um, Lucifer and ritual abuse as well, um, so, you know, I'm not the only one. My husband comes from a ba- that background as well. Um, she was horrible. She tried to split us up and she was very jealous of us, of our relationship. And she's English. And uh, English English mothers often don't like Australian women coming after their, you know, hooking up with their sons. So he would have married me six years before he did, but if it wasn't for her. That caused more trouble <laughs> in our relationship than any of my child abuse ever did. So, you know what I mean? I do. There was other things at play. Yeah. And this is something else that, that, you know, victims need to realize. Some of the stuff you go through is just the normal ups and downs of married life and family life. It's really easy to pin all of your problems on your childhood. And it's not, it's not the case. Everybody's going through these ups and downs. And so your job as someone who's healing is to kind of zero in on what the thing is that you can work on today that will help you have a happier day. And when I say I got my memories back, what I mean is they came in bits and pieces and they came in pieces that I could handle. Our brains are so smart. Our minds are so sophisticated. And it's my witness as well that our brains only allow us to process what we can honestly face in that moment. You may be taking care of three or four little children and up to your eyeballs and diapers and dishes, and you just don't have the capacity to face some of these things right now. And so you'll just get a flash or a nudge here. Something's off. Something happened to me. I'm not quite sure what it was. But just tuck that away. Write it down in a journal. Just note it in your own conscious mind. Something is there. And you can come back to it later. And then when the later time comes, you're more prepared to say, okay, I'm ready to face this now. And your body will help you remember. Yeah. I. It's interesting. I was just thinking as you're saying that. Um, I... Oh, years ago, one of my, because I'm the eldest of seven kids and the others have been ritually abused as well. I'm just the only one who was prepared to talk. Anyway, one of my brothers who, apart from me, remembers the most, <coughs> you know, because he's one of the old <coughs> ones, um, he gave me books years ago. And like that Carla Emery one, I think it's called, Secret Don't Tell and um, Fritz Springmeyer's books. You know, he, he actually gave me copies of them when they first came out, you know, and I glanced through them and everything. But I've got to tell you now, I didn't remember any of those books. I, You can go and read something. If you're not ready for that material and you're not ready to integrate whatever that material triggers or whatever, your brain will dissociate it out. That's right. And that's exactly what happened with me. Um, Because, you know, I've had accusations like, oh, she got all her testimony off the internet from people who were CIA agents um, saying that, and they're fake SRA, um, you know, uh, advocates and so forth. Um, Well, I didn't. Uh, And even, even if I did read any information years ago, I never absorbed it. It was only when I... Some of that stuff I've only read for the first time really... Uh, when I started writing the book. 
I went over and I went, oh, I better pull some of these, you know, books out and have a look at them, the ones I'm recommending, because I know that there's good stuff in it, da 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 And And I read some of that stuff for the first time. So, like I say, the, there's... You can, people can shove things in your face. It's like this concept, the false memory syndrome foundation uh, concept of, oh, you know, um, these fake therapists or over, um, uh, overly keen female therapists are putting ideas in, into victims' heads. That's actually impossible. Right. You can't do that. You can't put an idea in a victim's head. Because they're not going to, they're going to dissociate from that idea if they're not ready for it. Well, and that right? that book by Elizabeth Loftus, False Memory Syndrome. Oh God, whatever. That, yeah, the book she's that horrible. Was, that was the book that was flung at my head by my mother when I first started remembering, and that that has continued to be how my family has responded to me. It's just. Jenny and all of her evil therapists. So I don't have that many therapists. I've only worked with a few key people over the years. My main therapist is God. And Jesus Christ has been the one who's been the catalyst for my healing. Fiona, can you talk about the background of the people who not only uh, made Elizabeth write that book, but how they're basically a, a bunch of pedophile families? Oh, I detail this greatly in my book. Um, and I talk about the false memory foundation in america which is a cia cutout and um the people involved in that um were either pedophiles or pedophile protectors and proven to be and the majority of them have um irrefutable links to mk ultra so you've got martin orn who was a vile mk ultra perpetrator who raped and murdered children according to their testimony. And um, some of them, well, I know two of them, um, well, one in particular testified to the radiation uh, inquiry over there in what, the early 90s, I think it was. Uh, and I mentioned that in my book, that Martin Orne abused them. Martin Orne was in Australia and he brought MK Ultra to Australia in 1960 at Sydney University. And he brought... And he was, you know, on the on the false memory board. And this in in Australia they started up like a sister organization. And if you I've detailed everyone in my book, thanks to the research of Steve McMurray, my researcher. It was phenomenal. And uh all of these people are MK Ultra perpetrators, or they um, were accused of raping their own children, or they had some sort of link in covering up pedophiles, like their colleagues were pedophiles, and and they provided court reports. You know, the the, the connections are absolutely phenomenal, and they, you know, there's no denying it once you read that. And then I know in Australia. Um, the psychiatrists, anybody who was anybody in psychiatry and psychology, were linked to the False Memory Foundation. So they placed themselves in these positions, you know, put out this false narrative, used Elizabeth Loftus as their poster research girl when she's been absolutely discredited in court cases 
and she was um, under investigation. She's going to be deregistered, but threw in her registration anyway with the psych board in, in America. You know, these people have dirty, filthy histories that are very easy to locate if people can be bothered. So I've put it all in one spot in my book. Yeah, and it's a wonderful part of the book because I've had that thrown at me so many times by people who knew me as a child that it's a secondary level of trauma to have. I'm crying as I say this. It's a secondary layer of trauma for those of us suffering to say that we just made it up or somebody who would do that? Who? What therapist would be evil enough to implant something in my brain? And then on top of that, why do they think so little of me? and my intellect, that I would allow someone to do that. It's so insulting on so many levels. I can't even touch it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something that as you're healing, you're going to probably face. And so if you come across it with your own family, with therapists, they start throwing around false memories, just walk away. Go find people who understand how this works. And, you know, when in my 20s, I would hear about people who had repressed memories. And I would say things like, oh, what a crock, what a load. Those people are so pathetic. That was my approach all during my 20s until I started to remember. And then I started to remember and I went, oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. You know, so you may be someone who, who thinks it's all just fake right now. And then down the road, you may you may have your wake up and realize what happened to you and, and realize that I this is my deeply held belief. Heavenly Father put that that amnesia over us to protect us, you know, to keep us safe from these things that we couldn't face until we were mature enough to face them. That's one side of it. The other side of it is, yes, some of us were programmed to never remember. And if we did remember that we would kill ourselves and so your job as someone who's healing is to figure out, you know, is my trauma from, you know, okay, I was raped at, on a date by someone who was just, you know, improper in their, their approach to me, or was there something more nefarious going on in terms of people having access to you who may have had agendas, you know, political agendas. And um, I've been a victim of that. And also Fiona's been a victim of that. And so, you know, as, as you're healing, you'll, you'll start to sort it all out. I don't even care what people say anymore. I'm too old. I'm nearly 50. And I've been, I've had a lot of preparation for being treated the way I, I am. Um, when I came out, first of all, I, um, I minimised my story so that it was suitable to the mainstream media because I had a real good shot at getting to the mainstream media. And then thanks to one of the agents who wrote an article mixing my Anthony Kidman stuff with some absolute crap about the Ninth Circle, which I've never even heard of, um, she made all this stuff up and, and released that article. And then the Australian um, grubby media some of the perpetrators got hold of that and used that to discredit me on national television. And then that was a warning to all other news news outlets and whatever to leave my story alone or we're going to discredit you and attack you. So, you know, once you've been mocked, slandered and laughed at in front of an entire nation, 
And, like, everybody knew what they were doing and they said it's disgusting and I had other journalists contact me and say, Fiona, I'm so sorry that they did this to you, blah, blah, blah. We, we don't believe that, you know, et cetera. Uh, once, once you've been mocked at that level and, you know, when um, the vile university who sparked all of this, Bond University, a um, bunch of pedophile protectors and pedophiles, two of them have been charged, one's gone to prison already, um, once... They've discredited me and destroyed my career and lied to the psychology registration board about me, called me, you know, a, a, a murderer and a perpetrator of the crimes I was a child victim of and all this sort of stuff. Once you've had that happen, having someone else come along and, you know, say, oh, this is all false memories, you know, and it stems from, you know, whatever, um, that's nothing compared to the training ground I've had. You know, and this is why you just learn to just not give a toss about what people think of you. You have to be like that. It's like in the Bible, we're fools for Christ. Look at some of the weird stuff that the prophets had to do. One had to lie on one side for so many hundred days and lie on the other, and then he had to cook his food on human dung, and he said, no, I'll just do it on cow dung. And, you know, what's any of that weird stuff mean? I mean... You know, so you can imagine how they were mocked and, and shunned and what have you in their day. And I'm just, I'm not a prophet. I'm just saying I'm a, I'm a modern day, I'm a modern day Christian source of mockery, you know. Yeah. And nothing, I don't care anymore. I don't care. I mean, it, the beauty of being stripped of everything in this world. So, you know, being stripped of. Um, social recognition, um, value of, you know, what you're good at. And I was very good at what I did. Um, you know, being stripped of all that and treated like, you know, an idiot. And um, the value of all of losing everything and financially, I lost greatly financially, you know, because of what they did to me at the university and everything. One, you know, the beauty of that is when you have nothing left to lose, then you you know, it, it frees you to say whatever you want to say. That's so true. And, yeah, so hence I've put what I call some, you know, a lot of the weird black ops stuff in the book. You know, I wasn't I wasn't going to put that in and I thought, well, stuff it. This will all be mainstream science knowledge in about 20 years and I'll be dead by then and whatever. I'll be appreciated once I'm gone, like, you know, Picasso or, well, not Picasso. He was successful in his time, Van Gogh or something, you know, like, a, like an, one of the famous artists, you know, who struggled and was hated in their time, but once they go, people understand what they're on about and that's how it's going to be for me and I just accept that, you know. Like, I, I'm i not going to gain any sort of social status or value for what I'm doing or recognition of my talents or anything like that in this life, you know. I, I've I, I, put I everything on the line. I don't know about that, Fiona, because... We are at a place, I mean, those guys you mentioned, Van Gogh, they they didn't have the internet. <laughs> and there is so much going down right now with all of the arrests around the deep state, Epstein and Keith Ranieri and all the outing of the pedophiles. I read just today that um, the Trump administration has arrested so many pedophile rings in America that, um, and these people are getting serious sentences, life sentences, that pedophilia is on the run and being exposed like never before. I actually think your book coming out when it did is absolute perfect timing. And I, I think you're going to live to see 
yourself held up as a legitimate source of information about all of this stuff? Well, time will tell. Um, but I don't... I've got to the point where... I mean, I'm not suicidal, but I don't care whether I stay or go on this planet. You know, like, to me, there's better things awaiting for us in the next life for sure. You know, this world, they, they try, in Western society, there's this false sense of, oh, you just got to smile and grin and pretend everything's okay. You know, you're not allowed to. Socially, you're not allowed to say, you know what, this world sucks. You're not allowed to say that, all right? There's a lot of pressure on you from educational institutions to mental health facilities even. It's like, ooh, think positive, you know, and all these false therapies that I absolutely slam because they were created by my perpetrators like Anthony Kidman, you know, peddling and Martin Seligman peddling the, um, you know, CBT, you know, positive thinking type therapies which uh, are designed to keep you in a state of dissociation and denial of what actually happened to you as a child. And it's only by remembering what happened to you as a child properly that you will integrate all the alters that were created by each trauma incident. You know, you have to process the trauma to integrate the alters that were created by the trauma. So, you know, I'm at the point in life where it just doesn't matter anymore, Jenny. You know, like even in the end of 2016, I made a, um, I was New Year's Day 2017 actually after the conference that I um, spoke at in, uh, in Seattle. I was more, I've gone through a lot since then even in the last few years, which has absolutely exhausted me, depleted my memory. I mean, I've really... And writing the book nearly killed me, six months of that, because that was extremely triggering. All it does is trigger more memories when I engage and stuff like that. Can I just insert Um, something here? Yeah. Your testimony of what happened to you at that conference was so reminiscent of what happened to my friend, Dr. Leonard Horowitz, who's the top world vaccine activist. I interviewed him a few years ago around the Ebola scare. He wrote the definitive book on Ebola and AIDS in 1998 but as he shared a story of him going to a very similar conference where they were just there to mess with people get people's names sometimes these conferences mm. they're just trying to get names of people who are going to provide problems for them down the road and then they go yep. use their tactics against the activists it was so reminiscent of what ex- exactly the same tactics that happened to len but as i read your story it was just another witness this is what they do this is how they handle their their problem people so go ahead and share just i mean you out in a cabin with a crazy woman with knives. I'm reading this story. I'm like, I can't believe what I'm reading. You know, it was just I, so wild. I just, and then the, then the black helicopter yeah. that, um, you know, stops and hovers over me on top of this four-hour hike or whatever it was to the top of the mountain. And I just went, oh, I'm a goner. Yeah, no, I, yeah, so the, the conference was run by Colin Ross and um, I've put in there all of his history. And uh, where he's had, he's been, you know, thrown out of his his profession and sacked from hospitals and whatever for what happened. And anyway, I didn't, I was never told it was his conference. I was lied to. I was just told that he's attending it. And I was given a plenary speaking position. I was promised that, all these sorts of things. Uh, They'll deny it now, but that's exactly what I was promised to get me over there. 
and uh, oh, we're going to pay you away and everything. Well, they didn't. And uh, so it ended up costing a lot of money for me to go. And uh, the conference did not pay for what they said they would. Anyway, um, I went over there and they, all the equipment and whatever was not prepared for me. And I, you know, I had nowhere to speak. I had a room. I was dealt, I was, instead of the plenary main room, I was given this, you know, this closet at the back of the whole conference, uh, down a hall somewhere at the hotel. And the Radisson Hotel in Seattle were disgusting. The vile staff were involved. A lot of them, they're, they're involved in this whole cult scene. You could tell, uh, from their behavior and actions. And anyway, they, I asked for things like I didn't even have a podium to stand on, like a, something to rest my computer on or anything like that. And I asked for something. I said, do you have another podium? And the hospital staff, this guy was just, he, he might as well have spat in my face. He looked, looked me up and down with contempt and said, no, we don't. He says, go use that. And it was a 50 centimeter high coffee table in the corner. And I thought, wow, this is unfolding and there was no equipment i asked for it and you know the conference organizer who's you know was one of them um said oh i asked such and such the tech guy to set that up i went and found the tech guy myself um and he said no no one's asked me to set stuff up at all anyway i went looking for stuff anyway nothing and five o'clock was encroaching and that's when the hotel locks all the doors for the night Anyway, the other speakers there were all going off with Colin Ross to have lobster down at Fisherman's Wharf, right? And I was not invited. I'm the only international guest speaker, and and I was not invited. And, in fact, what one speaker did was boast me, one psychologist there boasted, oh, I'm so glad my room's set up, you know, really taunting and rubbing it in that, like, I'm in this situation. And I was first up the next morning. I think this was Thursday I was getting the room ready. And I was due to speak first thing Friday, 9 a.m., something like that. Had nothing. So I thought, you bastards, you know. And I went, you know what? Because Australians don't take this sort of thing lying down. Anyway, we're known for our... Uh, just watch any episode of Survivor Island or whatever. It's the Aussies that always do out, outsmart all the Poms and whoever else. Anyway, and I went, stuff you lot. So I went in and I just stole the gear from... I went, I'll just take the gear from someone else and it's their problem to worry about. And I chose the room of the woman who boasted to me about how glad she was her room was set up when mine wasn't. I thought, okay. And so I went and stole her stuff and set my room up and they come along and locked the doors. And um, then, you know, early the next morning, I'm in there. I'm ready to go at 9 o'clock. And I heard this screaming down the hall, where's my equipment? Where's my podium? And all this sort of stuff. And it was the bitch who, uh, you know, boasted to me about how she was set up before she went off to eat lobster at Fisherman's Wharf. And somebody came up to me, another person came up and said, oh, did you? She couldn't believe it. She said, did you swap the rooms? Did you take someone else's equipment? And I just looked at her, you know. And I just said, oh, my who would do that? <laughs> you know, and I just and I just thought, and because what they didn't understand, what they, I guess they never thought that I would do what I did, because everyone's all so superficially polite, aren't they? And um, but not Australians, we just go up yours and we just take it. Yeah. So that, and that's the nature of my culture, you know. We we won't we won't take any crap from anybody, well, and uh, that's a, what came out. It you know? was a woman at so, the conference who asked you to write your book. Uh, yes, indeed. So, okay, so I gave my talk. 
And then the next day I gave a follow-up session where it was question and answer time. Well, people were not told that people, they removed from people's folders my information. So people didn't even know I was there or where to find me for the talk. Yeah. And that's the feedback I got from people. They're going, but my folder doesn't have your information in it. Anyway, some people found me on the second day and one girl in particular, she, she heard what I was saying and then she wanted to hear my talk again, but we couldn't, I wasn't, they wouldn't give me a room to do it. I said, well, I'll do it again if they give me a room and they wouldn't give me a room. Okay. To, to, they wouldn't give me anything to, to do my talk again when it was by popular demand. Anyway, this girl was crying saying, please give your talk again. I, I missed out on yesterday and she's crying. Anyway, at the end of everything, I had one person who, the only person who was really polite to me and everything was a speaker, but she was also a victim. And you'll, you'll notice that all the speakers were probably victims. That's why they go into this industry. But they're all very full of themselves. And, and out in the foyer, they're all selling their stuff at stands like, you know, bookmarks and, and, and posters and, and, and fridge magnets and all this sort of stuff. And they, you know, and their books, $45 a book and everything. It was disgusting. It was like, I called it Sideshow Alley. And I was just dis disgusted that this was all a money-making venture and it was a way of tracking victims right. and um, knowing who's who. And I realised that. And I had one one person came up to me, one of the therapists came up to me and she was tears in her eyes saying her client was killed um, at um, uh, Colin Ross's Institute. And, she, you know, she was crying saying he went in there, he was not suicidal and he came out dead. And uh, anyway... All these sort of things were going on. So I just gave a real talk and I just, the second day, I just said, close the door. I just said, and I just ripped into the rest of the conference in front of the people at my talk, you know, the follow-up talk. And I said, oh, I said, all those books and fridge mags, all that shit out there. I said, how's that helping you? You feel healed? You know, and everyone's like looking at me and going, no. I said, okay. And people have told me 20 years I've been trying to integrate. No one's told me this stuff. You know, what's going on? And, you know, Another therapist was so angry after my first talk, she went out and her client, um, one of her patients ran into her and, and she got, and this woman just emerged from my talk, said, she's gone, what's wrong? She said, I'm so angry. I'm so angry at Fiona's talk. And she said, well, what do you, why, what? She says, I'm so angry that no one's ever told me that stuff before. So the information I was giving out was completely opposite to everything that, all the shit that they were talking, you know, mindfulness and all this stuff, which was created by perpetrators. And, and uh, anyway, I was out in the and this I was out in the foyer, and this one woman who was a a, talk, a speaker, a therapist, but also admits that she was a victim. She's yelling at the top of her voice. Why wasn't Fiona in the main speaking room? Why wasn't Fiona in the main speaking room? They were going off, and this other one was saying, "Please write a book." All this she said. She swept her arm, swept her arm across all this sideshow alley of book sales and stalls and things. All this is shit. This, this uh, victim yelled. She says, you've got the real stuff. She says, write a book, Fiona. Please write a book. Where's your book? Where's your book? I want to buy your book. And then a whole bunch of them were going, where's your book? Yeah, we want your book. And I went, I don't have a book. And I didn't have any intention of writing a book. And they're going, please write a book. Please write a book. And then I said, all right, I'll see what I can do. And then from there, so that's three years ago, you know. And from there, I was lured up by Tacoma Police and Social Worker who was involved in all this crap, lured up to Alaska where I was ended up, you know, helping out. It was just a big setup, and I ended up in a cabin in they the woods tried. in what's called Bear Valley. And um, during bear season and moose season, 
and um, no bear mace and no warnings about, you know, the dangers of going hiking. Um, and I was assured it's safe. I was actually told, oh, yeah, sure, you can go hiking on your own up a mountain for four hours in bear country. And, um, and so I go hiking. The bears didn't get me. And the whole time I was going up this mountain, I, I was angry because by now I knew it was a setup with this um we were basically minding the cia asset who's um was a homicidal maniac anyway i'm going up the mountain hiking for hours and every time i got over a ridge i thought oh, that's the that's the peak of the mountain there i went not nah, going to the peak today and i was determined it took hours and hours and hours it took all morning and um the whole time i was going there i'm yelling at god because no one can hear me so i went you know what i'm just gonna have it out and i'm just going off at god's and you know i've had a gut full of this life and this bloody conference and now you know i've got this crazy cia asset wanting to you know set us up here and she's you know she's insane and anyway and i'm going up this hill this mountain and yelling at god the whole way for hours and I'm saying, you meet me at the top of that mountain. You meet me at the top of that mountain. I want to have it out with you. I've had a gut full of this. Anyway, um, so going off like a crazy woman, it didn't matter. No one could hear me. Anyway, I finally got to the peak. Took forever. Got to the peak. And I was just at the peak, looking up at the peak, when this huge black helicopter just cut out all the daylight. It was so low on top of me. And it made no sound as it approached me. There wasn't a sound and it buzzed me. And it came over me and my immediately I recognised the helicopter. I knew who it was. And I just went, oh, dear, I'm dead. I went, oh, well, Lord, guess I'm going to meet you soon. You know, I'm a goner. And it flashed through my mind. I looked around, nowhere to hide, nowhere to run, um, nowhere to – I just thought they're going to pick me up on this mountain. And they're so easy to throw me over the cliff or – feed me to bears and just say, oh, some stupid Aussie tourist, you know, went hiking on her own and, you know, got froze to death or whatever. Anyway, I'm there and I just started praying, you know, I'm just going, oh, Lord, you know, I'm just, I'm gone. Anyway, this helicopter just was staring them. They're just looking at me. They're side on to me real close and they're just staring at me and I'm thinking, well, why aren't you, why aren't you picking me up? What's, you know, I'm thinking, why, why are you stopping? Why are you just looking at me? And they stared at me for the longest time. And then they started flying off a bit, you know, sort of hovering away. And I'm going, well, this doesn't make sense. Anyway, I grabbed my, I had my iPad um, and I started filming them. And then they took off and then I hit, then I found a crevice um, a little bit further down in a rock and I just, you know, pushed myself my back into this crevice and just stood there and my heart's going and I'm breathing and I'm just, you know, I'm just going, oh, my gosh, I'm trapped. What do I do? Anyway, about, I don't know how long later, but another helicopter came and it was more an army uh, helicopter with a big gun on the front of its nose and it behaved more normally. It sort of flew past me, flew up a bit, turned around and then went back down the valley. Anyway, I got home that night. And that's the night at about 1am that the CIA asset that we were minding, this horrible social worker who's involved in the cult called Kimber Olsen, uh, set me up in Alaska for this and um, left us there. We had no mobile phone reception and all this sort of thing. Anyway, this woman pulls the knife on us at 1am in the morning. She started chanting the um, shedding of blood for the atonement of sin and she turned all the lights off in the cabin and then pulled a 40 centimetre knife on us, which we had hidden. And so she'd, she'd got it, found it and set it up. And um, 
And anyway, I had already had a talk to this girl before I went hiking up the mountain. I I knew in my right brain, knew what I was dealing with. And I just sat there and I told her. I said, I'm quite confident, girly, that, you know, my training has more than equipped me for whatever it is you think you're going to pull. Right? That's what I said to her. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, okay. And I just looked her in the eye. And I was really sweet when I said it. And I smiled. And I was really lovely. But my words were deadly. Anyway, that so she pulls this knife on us and um, Nikki, the person with me, was, you know, freaking out. And anyway, I put myself, I did the whole soldier thing, my whole training kicked in, of course, and I put myself, and I'm not afraid in these situations. I might have been nervous about the helicopter because, like, you know, I'm a goner, but in this situation, this is different. This is a hand-to-hand combat situation. I'm very well trained in that, you know. So anyway, I'm between... Um, I put myself between Nikki and the knife and I just looked at her and I just said in the most, uh, you know, threatening voice, I just said, drop the knife, you know, and she froze. She freaked out, froze and dropped the knife and we turned the lights on. And then I sat down with her and just spoke to her until daybreak. Wow. You know, I just sat down in the lounge room and spoke nicely and da 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 and um and then they Kimber Olsen did not turn up any earlier. She wanted to stay another night in the cabin and all this sort of stuff. And that's Alison Miller was involved in that setup as well. I spoke to her and she just lied through her teeth telling me, Oh, the client wasn't going to hurt you. She probably would have used the knife on herself. I'm going, No, the knife was pointing at me. And that's what a homicide detective that I spoke to in back in Seattle said, No, Fiona, she was gonna do you, you know? And yeah. the knife was pointing at you, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. Yeah, well, you're the target, mm. not herself. What enraged so me this the was, most about this? This was my, this is the setup in Seattle, yeah. thanks to Alison Miller and Colin Ross, two people that everyone thinks that you can trust. And, oh, they're, you know, survivor advocates. And also, no, they're not. They're dirty, filthy CIA assets and agents. All right? And, and they played, Do not trust anybody. They played on your goodwill. Oh, Fiona, yeah. we have this woman who's suffering. You can help her so much. Will you come yeah, yeah, to we Alaska? were just yeah, exactly. We were only supposed to do. There was a roster going, and we were just going to do a couple of nights. And the thing was, Nikki wanted to go to Alaska, right? I had family to go and see in Canada, but I missed out on seeing them on the east coast because um, Nikki all, had already been saying, "I want to go to Alaska. I want to go to Alaska." So in the end, it was a no-brainer when somebody said, "Oh, do you want to come up to Alaska?" And da da da. So. You know, I just said, all right, we'll go to Alaska. Nikki wants to go to Alaska. You know, we'll do a couple of nights in the cabin and then we'll go and see the glaciers, you know. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. There was some other crazy stuff that happened up there that I haven't written about, but the whole trip was obviously an attempt on me. Yes. Well, this is why I have so much respect for those of you, and I'm, I'm one too, who set up your own websites, create your own media, write your own books, make your own documentaries, your own videos, your own radio, because we know that these tactics are being used by on activists all over the world. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so people need to know that about 90% of the people on social media who have got websites and selling books and T-shirts and this and this and this, they are all, all paid by um, the child trafficking network. You've got to understand and do not go near these people. Do not be interviewed by them. Um, the latest I was screwed over by one of them who tried to, um, 
entrapped me with what we were saying in the interview, but um, he accidentally deleted that interview apparently, so either God deleted it or he wasn't happy with my responses. Um, and another one's been going around secretly sending emails to people. So you've got people like Russ Dizdar and uh, Preston Bailey, all that scum bucket um, lot, and they're writing to um People privately, like uh, I, I was handed the email where they're um, slagging me off and slandering me by email, saying I'm fake, and I got I, I got all my stories from the internet. Um, well, I didn't because no one previously named Anthony Kidman for a start. And if you read my book, what they want to do is, okay, they all pretend to be enemies on the internet. Oh, we hate this one and this one. They're all giving me dirt on each other and all this, sending me all this crap. I don't want to know about it. Um, I've actually engaged lawyers now because in, in any bad moves from any of these people, they come near me now, we're going to go them. But um, these people are so... Um, they that People like Nicole Kidman and the cult, the big politicians and all that, they won't do this stuff themselves, right? They won't attack me themselves because it looks bad in the media. Um, but they employ these, these low agents to do their dirty work and... That's what I'm saying. They all pretend to hate each other on the internet, whatever, but they're not. They're all working together, and you find that out. Right. And they're, they're all worried about being discovered and their covers being blown. Well, I can tell you now, I was having lunch the other day with um, – I've got a bunch of friends who are former SAS and military intelligence in Australia and all this sort of stuff, former um, army officers and whatever. And we're talking about it, and I said, you know, I said they're worried about losing their pay packets, and they said these, and this one intelligence, retired intelligence – Dude said, no, that, that's not, that's the least of their worries. He says, they are about to end up like Isaac Cappy. Yeah. And see, what people don't know is I know a lot about Isaac and what happened and people don't know about what happened with Isaac, but Isaac was actually DID and he was an asset and he was used to try and get these people into my home and, uh, you know, paid for by people like Nicole Kibben. And... Um, and he failed and, it, you know, we had it out, Isaac and I. He dissociated and we had a conversation while he was in a dissociative state about not wanting to be used as a patsy and destroy my family and all this sort of stuff. And I said, well, you've got a choice, Isaac, you know. Is that how you want to be remembered? Is that your legacy? And meanwhile, we're preaching to him about Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, he, you know, we left not on the best of terms because he, when I wouldn't allow these people in my home, he threw tantrums. He smashed things. He went out in the yard and smashed sticks and screamed and I want to effing go home and I, you know, all this sort of stuff in front of my family, right? And anyway, I was I was pushed to my limits because I had two months on and off of this. And um, so when he went home and, and as soon as he left, I was talking to David Scherter, who's been through the same thing as me. And he said, and Scherter said, um, you know, um, he's a dead man walking. And the same with, um, there's a detective um, that I was in contact with in America and we're talking about it. And she said, oh, they're going to find him in a creek somewhere. And I knew he was he was dead. You know, I just knew that he's going to go. And that's what happens. And that's what's going to happen to these others. And that's why they're so desperate, see? They're no good to them once they've been exposed as agents. And then they just kill right? them. Yeah. Yeah. So they are desperate now and their lives are on the line. But I, and I say to them, you can, it, everything's forgivable. Right? I don't hate these people. Okay? Everything's forgivable. And before 
you find the same fate as Anthony Kidman and Isaac Cappy, I say you can still give your heart to Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. Right? So, and, you and I what? just want people to pray for these people. You know, they're just, some of them are DID, some of them are insane, some of them are just, you know, they've lost everything and now they have to work as agents and all this sort of stuff. I'm just imploring everyone to pray for these people. Yeah, and that's, right? that's my message to anyone caught up on this on any level, whether they're an actor or a singer or anyone who's who's got a part in it. Repent of your sins and come unto Jesus Christ. That's the answer for you. That's the answer. Short term and long term. You know, the stories in the Bible are true. All of the miracles we see of the people who were working for the Lord, their lives were preserved, their voices were protected until they, you know, their missions were done. And then many of them, you know, they, they were done on the earth and it was time for them to go home, including Jesus Christ. You know, his his life ended in a murder. And well, exactly. And I, I believe that Isaac found the Lord just before he went, you know, and this is a wonderful thing. I remember, you know, like I said in my eulogy, you know, I just wish we had been better at looking I wish I'd been more patient like my family were. Even my family, my kids and that were all more tolerant with Isaac than I was because I was, I, was I was on eggshells by then. You know, I just had had enough and I was pretty stressed and, you know, and then he's turning into an asset in front of my eyes and a risk and which we – it was funny because, you know, Shirtis said, don't let him into your house. You know, he's a trap. But still I felt as though God was saying, no, no, I want him to come over. And so he – you know, and he – Part of him really wanted to know the Lord. And, and I think that in the end, you know, you know, what's, what's two shitty months when you get to see him in heaven? Right. You know, right. but yeah. And I just, you know, this, this whole show has been, it's just been crazy. This whole internet thing. That's why I just, oh, I need another break. I've just had enough. Been called, you know, I had one of them call me a murderer. You know, in a group, and then someone posted me the message. Yeah, you said and, that. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, and this is someone that Steve McMurray worked with and trusted. And the only reason I agreed to do anything with this guy is because Steve McMurray said so. You know, well, and then he turns out to, turns out to write this. You know, if you listen to it, he talks about Aquino and how wonderful Aquino is and how he saved many lives and he criticised anyone who goes hard against Aquino on the on the, on the the social media site. Well, no one goes harder against Aquino than I do, you know. And and this is, this is one of my violent, rapist, murderous, you know, Luciferian perpetrators. Yeah. But is it possible? And then, he, then this guy calls me a murderer, which is what Bond University already tried. It's what they do to David Scherter. This is the new tactic. Oh, well, I'm a murderer because, well, that makes all soldiers murderers. You know, I was a trained soldier doing what I was told to do. And I was dissociative. And they used MK Ultra mind control techniques on me. You know, it's like once you've been called all these names and whatever, well, go for it. You know, people have to make a choice. You know, because someone would say to me, oh, you better go rectify that because, you know, it deters, it muddies the waters and deters people from reading the book. Well, the people who need to read the book have already got it. That's right. You know, it doesn't, That's right. it doesn't even matter. You don't, you know, you can slander me all you want. Yeah. Um, I just, it just doesn't matter anymore. And, you know, Jesus Christ is the one with power over life and death and everything that happens. 
Is there you know, the only reason alive? I'm still here is because of him. Me too. And, you know, I've done what he asked me to do. And I've, I've met my promises to the victims, both when I was a child, when I promised one day, you got, everyone's going to know who you are. And then, you know, and then later on, those victims in um, Seattle, when they, you know, write a book, write a book. Yeah, and you kept... So, I, you know, and, and the people who love the book are the victims. They're the ones who love it. And That's right. They start, I never used to hear from that many victims, you know what I mean, of this exact same stuff. Then I did the book and then I had a flood of contact right. from the people. I've been through the same thing, Fiona. Wow, your book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And you know what? Duty of care fulfilled. That's right. You know? Duty That's of right. care fulfilled. And no matter what they say about you in the media or what sort of tactics they try to use in the future, um, the book is written. The genie is out of the bottle, you know? That's what my SAS slash military intelligence friends said yesterday. One guy was saying, um, genie's, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. It's too late. That's right. You know, this doesn't matter what they do now. I mean, they will try and discredit me. I mean, the only thing the CIA and that can do is try and get me into a court of law and get me criminally sentenced, okay? And so then they'll go for um, criminally insane and all that sort of stuff. That is the only thing they've got left, and that's what they're trying to do still. So, um, you know, but good luck with that, with what's coming. That's right. You know? No. Fiona, I have had so many spiritual promptings that, that vindication and... Um, you know, justice is to be ours. If I told you the things that they have done to me over the last 10 years, I mean, it would totally resonate. But I am so ready for vindication for the, the tactics that have been used on me for just being a whistleblower. I'm friends with the investigative journalist who uh, outed a pedophile ring in Los Angeles 10 years ago. And I published a report on my blog and the holy gates of hell unleashed on me and my family. And, um, she's had three heart attacks. Her partner's had six near-death experiences. My family and I have just been through hell. And, you know, this is what they do to whistleblowers. They just... Oh, well, look, exactly. You know, they're not happy about my book for some reason, are they? (laughs) Oh, man. You know, there's a hell of a backlash. There was a hell of a backlash just in terms of illness. I, I became very ill after the book. And um, and there's a hell of a backlash in terms of, I'll tell you why, the main person that's going to be angry over all this, or well, besides the entire world, um, is Paul Mullen, who's head of the Fixated Person Unit in Australia and the UK. So there's three units here. There's in major eastern cities of Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, and he's got one in London. And he works for the royal family. He's the one who's been covering up all the child trafficking that Prince Andrew's been involved with and pe- Brian Epps with um, Jeffrey Epstein and all this. So he he's the one in charge of all this and, and he works in New Zealand, whatever. It's his agents that came after me, six half a dozen of them. And then they're in contact with the ITNJ, which is the fake um, victim advocacy group with, you know, dreadful connections all around the world and connections with them. They're just in, So Paul Mullen and the ITNJ are just products of MI6. And MI6 controls CIA in Asia and Australia. Okay, you've got to understand that America's answerable to London, right. right, to Britain, to the Crown, and to the Rothschilds and that. So the CIA, Mossad, MI6, ASIO and Australia, they are all the private secret police forces of the elites, Luciferian elite. 
all right? Nothing legal about what these guys do. So all of these, and if you look up the ICNJ, they're connected with this something called, um, oh, something, um, something nation. Anyway, they're all apparently from multiple reports, they're all having um, drug-fueled orgies in Bali. And um, they've got this organisation where you've got all these pretty young things sort of um, dressed up in sort of alternative hippie clothes and, you know, they look like they're advertising themselves for prostitution at a, at a Luciferian cult ritual. And they talk about ceremony and all these sorts of things. And um, this is what this, these groups are all involved in. And it's nothing more than Luciferian orgies, you know. When they say, oh, we're involved in ceremony, um, you know, well, ceremony means ritual. And so they're not happy that they've been outed. And there's this guy um, that I had nothing to do with. He, he's the one who worked for the ITNJ and released my, edited my, whatever you call it, the statement and everything and, and testified as to what happened behind the scenes there when they withheld my statement and I released it instead. So all of these people are connected. All of them are connected. And then they're contacting me and asking, oh, what do you think of such and such, these agents from Melbourne? What do you think of such and such, you know? Because the agents in Melbourne are wondering if they've been outed. Well, yes, their covers have all been blown. And I know they're all friends. They don't hate each other. They're all working together. So, you know, it's gonna this be- is the elaborate system that that is used to bring down people like you and I. Yeah. Well, when I read that they were targeting your child at her bus stop, I, I saw red. Yes. That was just last week, right? Oh, that was a few weeks ago now. Yeah, no, um, I was enraged. Yeah, they stopped and they just did it for intimidation to take photos and, um, you know, basically, hey, we know where your child um, gets off the bus of an afternoon and she's a kidnap risk. That's what that means. Yeah. And then that person drove off in the direction of where I know some of the agents are camped out at the moment, wow. you know, doing their Luciferian rituals not far from where, I, where I'm living at the moment. So whenever I prayed to know if if my family, my children were safe, Heavenly Father has always comforted me. And he said, Jen, they're safely in the palm of my hand. And so I trust the Lord with all my heart and daily. I know that he's watching over me and mine and protecting us from evil. Because, you know, we're all still here. We're relatively healthy. I'm always struggling with something, but we're relatively healthy. We're all sane. We're all functioning. And that is a miracle. (laughs) It's just a flat out miracle. And, you know, I don't anticipate that changing. Yeah, go on. I don't anticipate that changing. I just see further vindication, further evidence. And I, I really see a lot of people being locked up and held accountable for all this stuff. Well, to me, it's, you know, I, I have a hard time with my relationship with the Lord because I've been through so much and it's very hard. And because of the nature of my um, condition, I've, I've got now vestibular migraine from the damage that was done 10 years ago in the vestibular system. And, you know, it's hard for me to read. And um, so, and I get some lovely encouragement from Christians and, you know, give me passages and whatever. And then I... And someone said, you know, go and read the word. Anyway, I'm like, oh, yeah, righto. Um, it's hard for me. And I pick it up and basically I opened it up and the Lord said, listen, I'm keeping a very close eye on your enemies. Don't worry about them. Yeah. And, um, and then he says, um, 
and he, and he said before, he says, look, don't fret about these people. He said, I created these people. Don't you think I can snuff them out like a candle anytime That's right. I want? That's right. So not that I'm after that, okay? Even when Anthony Kidman died, I was very upset because I just thought, oh, you know, a soul in hell burning forever. So, um, but I'm very, and, and the Lord said, you know, I, I, I will, I'm going to repay you double for what you've lost, which it's, and the funny thing is for me, like, you know, I tell people, Oh, heal, heal. You know, I've been saying that for years. Now I'm, now I'm more cautious of people. I'm going, do you want to open up that can of worms? You know, like it's horrid and I'm so exhausted and beaten to a pulp by these people who work together and, um, and just circumstances and life. And I, and I got to the point where if, you know, I was promised 10 years ago, vindication, compensation, reinstatement, but I'm at this time, I'm at the age where I don't really care now. You know what I mean? Like part of me, it doesn't even matter now. It's gone so far past all of that, that, you know, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens tomorrow anymore. You oh. resign to it. Now, whether that's in, that can be part exhaustion. Um, yeah. that can be part, you know, like I was a trained soldier. I just did what a soldier does and just keep going to the mission as accomplished. Um, well, I have to tell you that, what you've meant to me. There have been key moments in the last two years since I started reading you. I mostly found you on Twitter as other people were talking to you. Um, cause I'm still healing. I'm still remembering and reconciling. There were several key tweets and blog posts that changed my life, Fiona. You helped oh, really? me. And there are lots and lots of other people who are healing who are going to need you and your testimony and your story. Whether you're here or you're in the spirit world doesn't really matter. But I would love for you to stay. I would love to be your friend. I would love yeah. to have a second witness to what I've experienced. And I would love to be your second witness. You know, I'm in my 50s. I don't have hardly anyone in my day-to-day -day life who I could talk to any of this stuff about. Oh, wow. And it means so much to me that you took the time to, re to write your story. I can't even hardly quantify it. I dissociated last month when I started reading it in August. Uh, the first chapter oh. just sent me into, and I completely forgot about it. And then you sent out another blog post and I was like, oh yeah, Fiona's book. I went back and I forced myself to finish it, even though I, I was oh. weeping at certain places. But you know what? You helped me and I will be eternally grateful to you for that. Oh. oh, well, that's good, you know. And and that's what made it worthwhile was all these victims, you know, saying thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. And that's what I did it for. And it's free. People have to know I, I'm not take. I've never asked for a cent, all right? I never have and I purposely didn't so that people could never say, oh, she did this for money. And, you know, there are people working on a hard copy and a print copy and whatever. I don't really care. You know, I'm too tired to care now. Um, if they want to go ahead and do that, good, good on them. Um, but I don't, I don't want money from that either. Um, I know that you can, you know, you have to sell print copies for something because Amazon aren't going to send print copies out for free to people, are they? So, um, I can understand that, but the Kindle copy and all that sort of thing should be free as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't want anything for this. You know, I just did this because this is my weird ass memory, uh, ministry. 
You know, I've got the most bizarre Christian ministry that I've ever heard about. And it's, you know, it's not been fun from my perspective. It's been very painful. And people forget I'm a victim. They, they, they see me as this strong character, um, you know, who keeps on rising up out of the ashes to, to, to fight another day, like a soldier. Like I said, I'm a well-trained soldier. But I, but I'm human. And people forget that. They forget that I'm human. They forget that I'm, that I'm a victim in all of this. And they forget that I hurt too, that I have feelings and that I get tired. And, you know, and I am at the end of my run. You know, I said some people came to see me the other day and, and, uh, you know, and they, they asked me a question, Fiona, where to from now for you in life? Where to? And I remember getting angry. It's the only point in the conversation about everything that I got angry. And I said, Look, I said, like I said, I'm not suicidal. I said, but I don't care whether I live or die anymore. And and they looked at me like, what? What? Well, what about your lovely family and this and that? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I've, I've, you know, obviously I love my my girls and all this sort of thing. And you know, I, but I said, look, I was never a maternal type. I've I've risen to the challenge of of being a parent, but I was never one of those that went, oh, you know, I oh, I just can't wait to have children. You know, and to be a housewife. Well, I was not like that. Um, I am, and I said to them, I'm academic. You know, I am academic. And even in the last few years since the Seattle conference, and I made, you know, a two hour video or something saying, look, this is, you know, just got to keep on getting through everything and da da da. And, you know, and well, since then, I start, when I wrote the book, I have been through such hell and such trauma again. Um, I'm exhausted. Okay. Some of this is fatigue, but. I, um, I've come to the conclusion after, you know, at the end of my sort of the latter stages of my healing journey that life seems meaningless without justice. Yeah. I know how that feels. I, there's something about justice that water can't quench, food can't satisfy, uh, you know, you can give me, it doesn't matter what you give me. I don't want it. You know, I don't want it anymore. I want justice. I don't want an alternative. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that very deeply. And, uh, and, and everybody, but that's what everyone wants. And if you read the Bible, half the Bible is about justice. That's right. Justice is the cry. There's no justice, says the Lord. There's no justice. Our judges are, you know, are corrupt. Yeah, all the way through, you go and have a look at how much God values justice. See? See, there's, like, they can come and offer me whatever now. It's like, you can come and offer me, you know, everything I lost and whatever. I don't even, I just don't, unless you give me justice, I can't see how I, where I'm at psychologically is going to turn around anymore it's like i think of this um psychology experiment that you learn in first year psychology and they had they had this fish pond and uh not fish pond uh what do you call them fish tank and they had this fish in there that was carnivorous and it would eat other fish and they put its prey in there now they had a piece of glass separating the predator from the prey now the 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 little fish would swim up to the glass and whatever, and the big fish would keep on banging its head against the glass trying to eat the fish, the little fish. 
And it kept doing this until one day it gave up and just went still. Then their researchers removed the um, glass panel from between, you know, that divided the two fish. And that little prey fish could come up and rub itself against the cheekbones and everything of that big predator fish, but it would not eat the little fish because it had, it, it had been conditioned to give up. And that's what victims are at risk of. You know, like I've been driven to the point where I'm that big fish and you can rub that, you know, desired goal up against my face now. But I can't, I'm not interested. I can't make myself be interested in it anymore. And that's a time thing. And that's, you know, yeah. now I'm getting upset. That's 50 years of shit. Yes, it is. You know, 50. And I'm not saying give up hope, give up this or that, but I've yet to see another story, right? I've yet to see another case where it's so unrelenting as mine has been. I just, it's, it's relentless. And I said then in the end, you have to give it over to God and say, wow, you know, I, I just don't care anymore. You just can't care anymore. Well, you know, there comes a point where it, it is up to God and and he it's funny, he is providing people. They've just come into my life and they're just going, you know what, this sucks. We're going to fight for you, Fiona. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, are you? Oh, well, that's good. You know, good on you. But I, it's like I don't even care now. You know, it's like, and, and I, I wonder why God would you, why would you wait until I didn't want it anymore before you offer it to me? Well, I I think you should think of it as passing of the baton. You have run and run and run for 50 years. Pass the baton and trust that these these people coming up are going to set things right and create a better and more just world for our children and our grandchildren to grow up in, you know, that's what, that's what gives me my hope. And honestly, it's what keeps me talking. Well, we, but we do know, look, Revelation is revelation and we can't, we can't put off what it says in the word of God. It says these things are going to happen. They're going to happen at a set time. Right? There's, you know, God works in patterns and number sequences and, you know, for, to formula. And these things are going to take place. So on a world level, like people can, you know, this is another thing. Victims will, they're, they're, they're in tune with what's happening in our environment and the world is going to shit. You know, and this, these things have to happen. These Luciferians do have to rise to power and take power for a certain, for a short, very short time. They're going to be allowed to fulfill their destiny, right? Yeah. That they, as they desire it. Then they suffer the consequences of that. Okay. But remember, it says in various passages, it says, you know, God will hide you, hide in your chamber. Yeah, come out and, of, and wait for the storm to pass. Type come out thing, of her, my, right? Come out of he her, can my still people. preserve some people in this time. Yep, and that's what people have to realise. And that's where I talk about um, being marked with an invisible mark. I talk about that towards the end of my book. You know that another Passover is coming, but this time you're going to be marked with an invisible mark. We don't all have to be rounded up and sent to FEMA camps. Those are the morons who follow Hillsong, right? And Brian Houston and in America that Joel Osteen and all these mega church wealth ministries, Benny Hinn and all this stuff, right? 
that's for them. For, for, they're the ones who are going to end up in the FEMA camps, right, when they're forced to make a choice because they've just, you know, followed this deluded religion for so long. And they're going to have to come to the point that you and I have come to where we're bleeding, begging on our hands and knees to God to take the pain away, right? Our time of that sort of suffering is, I'd say, hopefully coming to an end. But others is only just beginning. It's true. And, and, you know, the thing that keeps me going is just we became grandparents last year. And I look at the face of this little girl and um, the hope and joy that's come into my heart around her is just unfathomable. I didn't know it could feel like this. And I know I sound like every other grandparent out there, but it's true. And it's different than with my own five kids. You know, they all go through their thing where they hate mom and, you know, just think you're the dumbest person on the planet. And it's so painful when you go through that as a mother and you kind of delude yourself. I've got a 16 year old and you, you get to where you're like, no, he won't do it. He won't do it. I know his older siblings did it, but, and then it's like, Oh, mom's the dumbest person on the planet. And you're like, no, not you too. You know, but part of this is just, this is how they mature. And when they turn 25, it all flips and they can become your friend again, but that's a long, long wait until they're 25. And so, you know, it's just, it's so hard being a parent because it's really painful to, to give this child life and then have them turn on you like that. But, you know, like I said, these are the, these are the pains of just everyone. We all have to go through it. And our job as people who are healing uh, is to just try and sort out what's what and then focus on the things that we can manage. And, you know, for me, some days, all I can manage is just to get up and make breakfast and do a few dishes. And then the rest of the time I'm in, in my room, you know, cause I just struggle. I struggle. I still struggle with trauma. I still tr struggle with being, being around people and in public. And I honor my struggle and I honor it by staying private and by staying quiet. And when I feel like I can face people last year, I was in a show, I was in a play. I played Mrs. Fezziwig in a Christmas Carol and that was joyful. And it, it just about broke me cause it was so hard to be around people, but I did it, mm. you know, and, and I'm, I'm the same Jenny. I've, I've become more withdrawn, yeah. um, in, in recent years. Yeah. I'm just not interested anymore. I just, it's become the more I've integrated, the less of an extrovert I've become because that was forced upon me. Right. And the more I'm just too tired to talk anymore. I'm too tired to, just everyday conversation or, you know, or even in depth about this sort of stuff, you know, I'll go to therapy and I'll just go, just do, just do the therapy. I, I don't even want to talk. I can't go to therapy anymore. Like I'm, you know, I'm right at the latter stages type thing of this whole integration thing, but I go there now and I just go, you know what? I just don't even talk to me. I'm not talking about the last week's events. I'm, I don't want to do it anymore. Just do the therapy, you know, the cognitive integration processing stuff. Right. I'm just, I'm just withdrawing more and more and, you know, I just find people are exhausting. They are. And, and the annoying thing is when somebody asks me a question that I've already answered in the book and they couldn't be bothered reading the book. Oh, I don't give you know? those, I don't well, give they, those people oh. any of my time. 
None whatsoever. Uh, they're, they're so lazy. I feel the same way about my books because I've written several books. And if you, if you can't honor and respect me enough to go read what I took my precious, precious time, to yeah. write, you do not deserve one second of my day. That's it. And it's, it's, and like I say at the end of my book, like if, if people don't want to read my book, that's good. You know what? My book's not for you. Just go and watch, you know, read, go and read something else. Go to Kim Kardashian's page, you know, and read about her ass implants and how they're going. You know, I really don't care anymore. You know, I've, I've fulfilled my duties, my Christian duty I've fulfilled and I've given people what, what they ask for and what, you know, may help them yeah. to heal. It's, and, and people have to know it's not this set formula. You don't just go and do what Fiona did, A, B, C, D. Oh, my gosh, you don't do that. No. Uh, and it's not really a memoir, so to speak. It's 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 very light on biography. Um, I tried to answer the questions that I asked people um, that they, you know, I said, what would you like answered in the book? What would you like covered? And they sent me hundreds of questions and topics and suggestions. So I geared it around that and I thought well I've got to put the history in first I've got to do the what is this child global child trafficking network all about and, and you know that's coordinated by the CIA people go understand how massive it is and who's behind it and how it all fits in together whether it be Jeffrey Epstein or the Clinton Foundation or you know Jimmy Savile in England or whatever and then then I talk about that system and then how they've tried to cover it all up and the false inquiries and all these sorts of things, the Royal Commission. And and then I've talked a bit about what I experienced. You know, so I've, I've established the existence of MK Ultra in Australia. No one can deny that, thanks to Steve McMurray's phenomenal research. And then I talk about all of that. And then I, then I talk a bit about my personal experience of it. So who, where, what, when, how, you know, in Australia. But I'm very light and I'm not big on describing gut, uh, blood and gore and all that sort of thing. But then I talk about, you know, what I did to fix it. You know, I talk about in Psychology 101, I tear apart psychology and psychiatry and say what's wrong with all the, the therapy methods that they use and how these methods were created by the perpetrators. And then I say, well, in, in in-trauma-focused integration, I talk about, well, this is, this is what I did. This is what worked for me, you know. And I can't, like I'm... And, and, you know, and I encourage people to integrate. There are benefits to integrating. I mean, I'm not in the pain I was in. I'm not confused. I don't have those that bouts of uh, really bad depression and anxiety compared to now. I still have PTSD and, and depression and anxiety associated with PTSD, but it's kind of like a normal, uh, relatively normal compared to what it was, if you know what I mean. It's like... I do. I used um, to break out in hives yeah. and asthma whenever I think about my dad. Yes, yes, I don't do I, I'm the same. Yeah. I, I, I get that kind of breathing difficulties yeah. when I start having a flashback of that. But, yeah, so I'm trying to tell people, look, it's not all roses. It's, you don't throw yourself into this healing process going, oh, it's going to be great. You know, it's not. It's going to be hell first. It, it will be – it gets worse before it gets better. But where I am is way better than where I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Right? There's no comparisons, chalk and cheese. It's just now I'm sitting here going, what now, Lord? Okay, great. So I integrated. Big deal. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. sitting there going, well, well, so what? Now what? You know, that that's my personal journey where I'm at. But I'm not saying it's – I'm saying it is worthwhile. It's worth – look, 
it's worth getting out of the pain. It is. It's worth getting out of the place where your children are vulnerable because you can dissociate and they can access your kids. It's worth getting out of that place where they can just trigger you to dissociate and you ended up at a ritual in adulthood or something like that, right? It's, it's worth being away from all of, all of that control, okay? And, and like, like I said, there's no comparison. But then I guess what you're left with is you can't change the PTSD at the end. Know that you're going to still have complex PTSD because, you know, it's normal to have PTSD. It's a normal trauma response. If the stuff that I'm talking about clearing up in my book is the forced, artificially imposed dissociation using very um, high-tech gear. Sophisticated right? tactics, yep. The sophisticated stuff. Yep. But what you'll be left with, you're still going to be left with something. It's not a miracle cure-all. All right? So I don't want people going into this with a false sense of, you know, expectation. Um, you will be left with complex PTSD, which you then have to deal with. And that complex PTSD, sorry, Jenny, is very hard to clear up when you're still being threatened day to day, when they're turning up, taking photos of your kid at their bus stop, right? This is something I I was thinking about yesterday, Fiona, as I was thinking about us doing the show. You know, you and I have healed with all of the harassment and bullying that they have to offer to anyone who's a whistleblower. Imagine a person who's healing, who doesn't have to deal with that because you and I and other people stood up and said, this is what they did to us. And then somebody put those people in prison. You know, imagine all the rest of the survivors trying to heal without all that extra layering of trauma and pain. Oh, look, I tell you what, that's what healing would be so easy. It's like I said in my interview at the press conference in 2015. And I said, you know, yeah, what, was done to me as a child was horrendous, but how people have mishandled my child abuse testimony since then has been far worse than the original abuse. That's right. That's right. And that that side of it is, is right? so traumatic when you've got a mother who's worried about her children, you've got you know a husband who's like, oh my gosh, how can I protect my family? And it's you know it's hitting you from all these sides where he can't even really help because he's not sure what to do, you know. And it's it's like, you know the most impossible situation you can even imagine. And you're just trying to like put a smile on your face and help your kids get out the door to school, you know? And it's like, you know, there's no, there's no map or book to tell you how to function in this reality. You just do it by flying by the seat of your pants. Exactly. And this is the reality, you know, this is, this is where it's really at. Um, You know, never mind all that social media circus that goes on that's all just a staged fight like like world wrestling you know it's all just acting um this is the reality of what we live with day to day there's a very real threat like i said isaac cappy is dead all right that's how real this threat is yeah there are there are other people who are dead you know that they got to so oh i have have friends who've been murdered sorry i have friends who've been murdered yes activist friends Yes. Um, and there are, yeah, there are other people like David Shirt has got, um, has contacts that have been murdered as well, you know, over there. I, um, and, and then, you know, cause you, you lose sight of how serious this game is. These people are serious. They kill. Yeah. Right. And that's why ultimately you have to have a source of power and authority greater than them. 
And that's where Jesus Christ comes into it. That's where God, creator God comes into it. That's right. Right? That's this why i And you have to put your faith in, in him. I mean, and I guess, you know, I mean, I'm at the stage, like I said, you know, without a vision, the people perish. And I don't have a great vision. I did what I was supposed to do, but now I'm twiddling my thumbs going, oh, well, now what? You know what I mean? Do I die? I honestly thought, oh, well, I die now. Do I? Okay. Well, that's okay. I don't mind going, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm nearly 50 and now it's like I've integrated, as I said in my book, I've integrated just in time for my body to fall apart. <laughs> so now I've got, yeah, now I've got all this, I get these pains um, when I walk uphill. It started off work, walking uphill for as long as, long time actually, 20 years. I couldn't go upstairs without bursts of agony. Um, seconds of agony at the top and then it turned into going up hills and then now it's on the flat and then it was my in my hands and I can't do repetitive um, work with my hands and stuff and anyway my psychologist said to me um, Fiona um, is that nerve damage are your nerves damaged you know you need one of those nerve induction tests anyway I said oh yeah I said I think it's from them electrocuting me so much as a kid and if you look up what happens when they electrocute you you know um you end up with this i think your nerves gradually just fall to pieces and um anyway so i went to a neurologist and uh, basically said to me about these other things oh yeah you've got vestibular migraine can't do anything for you you're stuck with that oh great okay so there's debilitating symptoms of that can't do anything um and then he says, well, the nerve, we can't do the nerve test on you for to test whether or not you've been damaged from electrocution because the test involves electrocuting you, Fiona. Oh, God. And I'm, yeah, this is my life. You know, and I'm there, I'm just looking at him. I mean, my daughter was there and she just burst into laughter. Yeah. Um, but I'm just there going, and I kind of, and he had a wry smile on his face too, but I'm, you know, I'm there, but in the background, you know, there's a source of pain in that. It's like, I just want validation not to know that this happened to me. You know, you're always searching for the evidence, the proof that this happened to me too. Right. And, um, you know, and yeah, so now this is, this is what I've got to look forward to. I've got all these medical issues now. My health is falling apart. You know, I've, you know, my bloods came back terribly. And, um, yeah, and I sit there and go, okay, great. Awesome, God. Yes, I integrated. Woohoo! Great. Isn't that good? <laughs> you know? And I, I do. You know, and like, oh. I and, do. And, and the other thing is, like, intellectually, I, because I'm academic, if you read Relevance of Intelligence, if you read Trauma Focus Integration, you can see the sort of brain I had. Yep. You know, you can see I'm academic. I like that work. I like that world. But I'm not allowed to do that work or be in that world, right? right so now. I have to sit here. Right so now. I sit here and what? Rot? Rot in a body that's falling apart for how long? What a, you know, this, this is my dilemma now with God. It, it's, you know, and, and my brain, my memory's going. My, in the last couple of years especially, my I've lost my memory. I used to have a photographic memory years ago. And before the stroke, I had a photographic memory for dialogue. And... um. You know, and now that's going. I can't even remember, you know, anything now. I can't remember, you know, common names of things. You know, I'll point to a chair and go that red thing over there because, you know, I, 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 I'm so damaged in the language centre. And, you know, and I go, well, that's it. I mean, I can't, My, I'm willing, you know, I want to do something, but now I'm physically disabled from doing it now anyway. Yeah. You well, know. 
I, I don't know what's around the corner, but I'm an eternal optimist. And my faith is in Jesus Christ and in the prophecies. And we know in the end, God wins. And these people are going to fall. Babylon's going to fall and it's going to fall so hard. Everybody's going to be shocked at how fast it says it says it happens in the day and one hour in the book of Revelations. And I think we're wow. gonna, I think we're getting close. So, you know, anything that our stories can do to help hasten that, let it happen. Um, we said a prayer before we started this show. And my prayer for all of you yeah. who have tuned in and are listening is that you will also be guided by the Lord in your healing to the people and the articles and the healers and the friends and the family that you need to help you heal. Cause I know you will heal. I'm going to close down the show now, Fiona. Thank you so much for your time. I feel like it's a miracle. We were able to connect that we had the technology and the ability to make this happen. I look forward to hearing about happy things happening in your life. I, I absolutely anticipate you pulling out of this as you get justice. And I believe you will. And um, my my belief is that there are better days ahead for both of us. Well, I just ask that uh, your listeners just hold me in your prayers and, um, you know, just that I'm protected amongst all this, just this fire, you know, just being shot at from all sides still, you know, nearly 50 still being shot at. I, I will. I've been praying for you quite a bit ever since I first heard your name so that's a couple years now and um i would call on angels to come down and watch over all of us and our families as this truth starts to blow i believe your book is going to um continue to make waves so bless you well just share i just ask everyone just share the book um host it on different sites uh in its entirety entirety everyone's welcome to um put it on usb um, and give it to friends or email entire copies to friends. Just make as many reproductions as you can before the CIA are successful in, in removing it from my sites or whatever, or tearing my sites down, whatever. No, let's have a hedge of protection over your site so they can't even touch it. I would call on mm. the powers of heaven to do that so that they can't even infiltrate and touch it. Mm. And I do that in Jesus' name. Well, bless you, sister. I have got to go pee. But it is so good talking to you. And um, hopefully we'll cross paths sooner than later. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, Jenny, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, and just uh, all the best to all your listeners as well as they work through their, you know, their own trauma. Yeah. All right. I love you, sister. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.